You're listening to sermons from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church, please visit our website at gcceugene.org. Exodus. Deliverance. A way out. When the Israelites were captive to a bondage forged by human hands, God delivers. When the idolatry of their human hearts was louder than the hunger after their God, God is faithful. When God's people forfeited the blessings of his divine presence, God restores relationship. At the moment, God meets with Moses on the mountaintop. He has already saved them. God redeems and brings his people into freedom and then provides instruction on how to live. Be holy for I am holy, for you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Be holy and show the nations who I am. Moses, an instrument of God's rescuing, leads the Israelites out of physical bondage in Egypt. Yet he is a mere shadow, a pale precursor to the one who leads God's people out of eternal spiritual bondage and sin, Jesus Christ, the one who came to proclaim freedom for the prisoner and to set the oppressed free. This is a story of rescue and freedom a story of God's desire to dwell with his people, a story of grace upon grace. I always think that guy's uh, voice is so intense. I'm just like, wow, I need a voice like that. So I decided I'd come up here and try to try to have that booming voice, but I can't. So here in my pink jacket, I'm definitely not gonna be doing that. Um, so yeah, it's good to be in front of you all. I don't know why I'm like extra nervous this morning. So if you think about it, pray for me. Um, my name is Jake Clausen. Um, I'm one of the elders here at GCC. I've been serving as an elder for a little over a year now. So um, if you're new, um, I would love to meet you. Or if you haven't quite met me yet, uh, I'm on staff with Crew, which is like a a college uh, ministry at U of O. Um, and so with that, it's a really fun job, but it also comes with a lot of travel. So <laughs> there's actually like a decent amount of Sundays where I'm like, I'm not here or, or I miss you guys uh, if it's your first time. So I'd love to meet you, come introduce yourself. Um, and uh, yeah, I'd love to tell you a little bit more about what I do and, and hear about you. So um, the fun part about uh, being on staff with Crew uh, is that I, I, like I said, get to travel. It's one of my favorite parts of my job. I just got back from Orange County with like a big student conference with like almost 600 students all across the West Coast, like coming and hearing about how they can grow in their relationship with God, which is super cool. Um, and so I do get to travel this last summer. Uh, usually with Crew, you get like a, a summer assignment. Uh, so they they have you go somewhere. This year, it's like on, on location, which means I get to party in Eugene all summer. Uh, but, but last summer, 2021, uh, my wife and I led a group of students, and we took our two toddlers, uh, who were uh, two and under, both of them. We took them on a mission trip for three weeks to Bosnia. So if you don't know where Bosnia is, I didn't either uh, before I left, but it's a country in the Balkans. So uh, we, we got to go for three weeks and take students over there. We got to share our faith with uh, 
traditional Catholic students and like traditional Muslim students in the same day. You're like sitting on this river and you see like big mosques on one side and big like Catholic cathedrals on the other side. Um, and so it was a really unique opportunity. Um, and my favorite part was like watching these students grow in their faith and become confident in sharing what they believe with people from all different backgrounds, uh, both in faith and ethnicity. And it was super cool. And I got to see some of these students uh, at the conference this last weekend. So that's what made me think of it. Um, and so the reason I'm telling you this story uh, is because on our flight back from Bosnia, uh, we are sitting in this uh, terminal and it's in Croatia and uh, they, they have almost like a, a, a gate before the gate. So they like, you like check in and then you're in this like almost like glass box and then they don't let you leave. Because if you leave, you have to go all the way back through and like show your passport and everything like that. So nobody wants to leave. And we're like, where's our plane? And they're like, oh, one little like panel on the roof fell off. So it's going to be about three, four hours before they can figure out how to do that. And if you've ever traveled with kids, uh, our toddlers are kind of going nuts. They're literally walking around to people in the airport, like stealing their snacks. Uh, they would just like go around in circles and people would like hand them snacks. Uh, and so our, our team... And me and my wife, we're getting a little antsy. We're just like, let's get on the plane. We're ready to get back home uh, and, and get back to our lives. So we finally get on the plane, uh, and they give you uh, some nice airplane food when you're traveling overseas. And you, might, you, you guys might know where this is going. About maybe an hour and a half, two hours into the flight, uh, I start to feel kind of a rock uh, start to build in my stomach. And it gets heavier and heavier, and I just start getting crunched uh, further and further over until the point where I'm like, this is not good. Uh, and this is a 10-hour flight, everybody. So <laughs> we're, I'm like two hours into a 10-hour flight. That means in my head, I'm like, I have eight, eight hours left of this. And slowly it starts moving through my body <laughs> to the point where I'm like standing up and I'm like, okay, I got to go. I spent about, you know, almost half the flight. It felt like either in the bathroom or crumpled over like in my seat. And my poor, my poor wife was with Thea, who's our oldest. And she starts just throwing up everywhere. I'm sorry if anybody's like feeling sick this morning, but <laughs> she starts just throwing up all over my wife. My wife changes her clothes. She throws all over those clothes. Um, and so my, my kids are throwing up. I'm like literally sitting in the bathroom or crumpled over in my seat uh, throughout this. I remember like specifically, I was like, I just got to lay down. Like nothing is comfortable standing up, sitting. And so I, I went back by like the bathrooms in the airplane and I just laid on the ground. Like I just like crumpled up. I, my face was just, it had no color in it. I'm not, I'm making it sound worse than it is. And it was worse than I actually am telling you. Um, I promise you. Um, and so we finally, we finally make it back. Uh, but I remember specifically like in, in this moment and kind of like going uh, past that, having these thoughts of like both in my head and out loud to people, I was just like, God, why, why is this happening to me? I literally, I mean, this sh shows my heart. I was like, I literally just spent three weeks leading this group of students, uh, to share their faith with people who have never heard the gospel before or maybe have rarely heard it in their life or have met a solid Christian. Why, why are you having this happen to me? I, I thought I deserved a nice trip back where I got to watch a bunch of movies and my kids would just sleep uh, the entire time. And yet it was the opposite. It was almost like the worst experience of you know food poisoning and feeling sick uh, that I've ever had. And I remember having this thought of, 
is, was this worth it? Like, should I have just stayed home? You know? And that's exactly like how my heart like felt in the time was like, I was like, God, I don't understand why you, you would have this happen. And the translation is, I don't trust you, God, to keep me healthy or even just to have a good plan for me. Like, I feel like I deserve something better than what you just gave me. How can you be good? And I know that's kind of like a somewhat silly example, uh, but it was the most recent one I could think of where I was specifically thinking to God, like, what are you doing? I don't understand this. But I think we all tend to do this. Um, I thought I had the right to a smooth flight home, an easy trip back for all the work that I had done for God, that he owes me something and I should be taken care of by him. And I know, again, that my example is a little weird, but I think it applies to like everyday stuff that you and I go through. Um, maybe it's, I deserve to enjoy what I do. Like, it, it's interesting. Like, I, one of my first questions I ask people after I get to know their name, is, and I ask like, hey, what do you do? The very next question I always ask, I don't know if you're like me, I'm like, do you like it? Like, I was literally just talking to Philip. I was like, do you like your job? And I think it shows in me, it's like, obviously I care about him and I, I want him to enjoy his job, but it shows in me this like, I think I deserve to enjoy what I do. And I think we have grown to be like, yeah, I, I deserve to like it. Maybe some of us, we think we deserve a spouse. Like we're going through life single right now and we're like, I, I deserve to be married. Like God's word commands it. What are you doing, God? Like, shouldn't I be married or have somebody that I'm married to? Uh, if you are married, like, like me, I think I deserve like a pretty easy marriage. I'm like, I'm a, I'm a good husband. I, I haven't gone anywhere or I do these things. I make eggs for my wife every morning, things like that. I'm like, I deserve marriage to be easy, right? Or I deserve to make more money than I do. Like I, I need to be making more money. I'm working hard. I show up for my job every single day. I'm faithful to it. Or maybe I want more recognition or feel like I deserve more recognition um, for what I'm doing. Maybe for you, it's uh, more relational that people should be pursuing you. If you work in a job where you're like uh, kind of continually like reaching out to people and pouring out to people, you might be like, I deserve for somebody to be reaching out to me for once. I think that that would be nice, God, for you to do that. And on a deeper note, um, some of us, like we feel we have the right to know exactly where God is like taking us in life. I don't know. Uh, I'm in my like, I just turned 32. So I'm kind of in this season of life where I'm just like, okay, what am I going to be doing for the rest of my life? And I'm like, God, why wouldn't you just show it to me? Like, why wouldn't it be where I'm like reading your word and you just like, Jake, this is what I want you to do for the next like 20, 30 years. Like that'd be easy and nice. And, and he doesn't do that. At least for me, maybe he does that for you and you're, you're lucky. Um, but I, I, I find myself kind of complaining to God of just like, why, why aren't you doing these things that I think you should be doing? Or why isn't it going the way that I, that I want you to go? And my responses, and I think our responses, because as I shared those examples, I guarantee if not one of those stick out to you, you can think of something where you're like, yeah, I really, I really think God should be doing this um, for me. And I think we, des we think we deserve better because we do have a sense of entitlement where it's like, I think we should, and I think I should, deserve this, um, either for what, what I've done for God or who I am, the kind of person that I am, you name it. And don't get me wrong, some of us, I think, have been through a lot, um, and we maybe just feel like we deserve things to be easy for a little bit when life is hard. And, and I think what this all boils down to is we don't believe that God is with us or we don't trust in his provision and his plan for us. 
and what he is doing. And we kind of say, what you have given me, God, just isn't cutting it. And at the end of the day, we fail to trust God and his provision, that he knows what he's doing, he cares about us, and he will provide. And I think one of the easiest ways to tell if we're failing to trust God and his provision is that we start to complain or grumble to him, either in our hearts or out loud. And as we've been going through the Exodus account, as you've seen in the video, um, we, we see the Israelites struggling with the same thing. We see them complain about the Egyptians pursuing them to the Red Sea, um, but God chooses to provide and rescue them for them. And we're going to look at three other counts today of them complaining to kind of connect us to what they're going through and what God's word has to say about it. So before we do that, uh, I'm just going to pray really quick and then we'll, we'll dive in. Um, Father, I just come before you, um, Lord, acknowledging that, um, yeah, we all sit in this room as, as people who, um, I think in our sin and in our inability or our lack of faith in you, we deserve uh, actually nothing but to be separated from you and to not have a relationship with you. But Lord, we thank you um, that you have given us your son, Jesus. Thank you that you have given uh, him to us, that you, you create a way for us to be in relationship with you. Um, and so, Father, I pray that today as we uh, talk through your word, um, as we explore and discover it, you would reveal in us your desire, uh, Father, um, to show us that you care, you know what you're doing, and you actually are protecting and providing for us. And so, Lord, would you kind of break down our hearts this morning um, as, as many of us come in with maybe hard hearts um, or complaining hearts, grumbling hearts, or like myself, I think I can come, kind of become a little bit resentful towards you. So, Lord, I pray that you would break that down um, through your word and through your care for us. Um, and I pray that you would help me to be faithful to your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so um, I am going to be preaching through a lot of verses. Um, I think if I read all of them, that it would take almost uh, 10 minutes or more. So I will not be doing that. <laughs> um, but I, my, my prayer is that even through like kind of a paraphrase and, and referring to the text, that I can be faithful to it, even though we might not have all the time that I, that I really wish that I did um, to kind of like really preach through each line um, of this text because there's so much here. And so we're going to be going through Exodus 15, um, verse, verse 22. If you're kind of a note taker or you're looking through your Bible and you want to reference kind of where I'm at, um, that's, that's where we'll be uh, to start. And then we're going to read all the way through um, 17, uh, 7. So it's a big chunk. And like I said, I'm going to do my best to kind of walk us through um, uh, along this. So uh, if you're looking for just kind of a structure, my mind works this way. Um, there, it's kind of broken up into three problems, so to speak. You have a water problem, you have a food problem, and then you have another water problem. So they're kind of sandwiched, um, this food problem sandwiched by water problem. So uh, uh, God has just rescued uh, his people um, from the Egyptians through the Red Sea is just part of the Red Sea. And as last week we saw, there was this moment of, of praise, of, of worship and, and singing and, and, and thanks and praise to God and what he has done for them. And now the Israelites, it's kind of like where the rubber hits the road. They're like free. They have escaped and it's now like, okay, what do we do? <laughs> so, so God is starting to lead them through the wilderness uh, into the promised land. And that's, that's where we pick up. And so um, starting in verse, uh, or chapter 15, uh, verse 22 through 27, we see the, our first water problem. And as we see here, um, the Israelites kind of come to this place and, and they can't 
um, they can't drink the water because it's bitter. Don't know exactly what's wrong with it. Um, somebody with more scholarly uh, information could probably tell you. Um, but, but the point is they could not drink of this water. It was too bitter, uh, which is a pretty legit issue. Um, so I don't know about you, but I have actually never wandered around in a desert or wilderness uh, where I haven't had access to water. Um, and not only that, um, most of us have not done that with like thousands of people. <laughs> and not only thousands of people, but like livestock, which gives you things that you need to actually give them water too. So we, we do have a significant problem. Like sometimes we look at the Israelites and like, what are you, what are you complaining about? There's like a lot of people here and a lot of animals, a lot of things to care for. And they're like, what are we going to do? We have no water. We, we can't drink anything because it's so bitter. Um, and it's one thing to kind of look out for yourself. Uh, maybe, maybe you like hunting or, or just walking out into the wilderness. I don't know. But <laughs> you, you do usually have yourself to look out for. It's one thing to look out for yourself, but it's another uh, to be caring for all of these other people and things too. And so their response in this is to grumble to Moses, their leader. And as we see in the coming passages, this is kind of their response when anything difficult comes their way. And um, if you know anything about me before, uh, lame, um, I guess, a missionary on staff with crew, I was an eighth grade language arts teacher. Yes, for two years. And... Uh, <laughs> Let's just say I had a handful of pretty difficult students. If you're around 14, um, this is not to be offensive to you, I promise. So Isaac, don't come beat me up, okay? Um, but I had, I had some pretty hard students, and I just remember these times where I can look back and like hear myself just like complaining. I'm like, why are they in my class? Like, why couldn't they be in someone else's class, you know? Dude, if you've ever been a teacher, sometimes the teacher's lounges can be pretty ruthless places, you know, because you have all these teachers who have hard students and it's like all these like grumbling, complaining. If you're a teacher, I'm not saying that's what you do, but uh, that's just my, my experience is like we all kind of have a spot where we understand each other and, and complain and it just like builds and builds and builds. And uh, at the end of the day, I have to remind myself like, I do love my students. I do love you. Um, but I see, saw in my heart this like, this like wanting to complain and, and, and grumble about it. Um, the hard part is, is I, I changed jobs, you know, and I, and I came on staff with crew. I started working for uh, this boss who had a pretty big personality. I'll just leave it at that. Um, and someone who was actually really gifted at like blazing uh, trails, setting direction and a pretty relentless work ethic. Um, but for me, I would, I'd consider myself someone with more of a soft personality. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah. If you know me, you're like, yeah, that makes sense. Um, but I remember complaining a lot about work hours. I remember complaining a lot about like, dude, I don't have the energy to, to work like this. I don't have uh, all this, these things. And I remember complaining about that. And even now I actually became the co-director. So I'm the boss and I get to decide when, when we do things, what we, what we do and all of that. But I actually, I feel like I complain even more now <laughs> than I did back then when I was working for somebody that I might not have aligned with um, in terms of work and stuff like that. And so studying this passage, I was super convicted about how, how bitter and like complainy my heart really is. And so you see, like often my first response to things is to have a bitter heart, a heart of complaining, a heart that is hard towards God as the water is described here as being bitter, poisonous even. And I think that this is how many of us respond to hard things. We complain against God. Yet God shows his grace and patience and provision by making the bitter water sweet. 
He takes the bitterness and makes it sweet. And in many ways, God is testing Israel. He is seeing if they're willing to trust him, willing to lean into him and obey his voice rather than their own view of what God should be doing. They're like, God, you're, you're leading the way. Why would this water be bitter? It makes no sense. You know, why, why would this happen at all? In their mind, they're like, why wouldn't, why wouldn't you just be drinkable in the first place? That makes sense in my head. And many of us think the same thing. Why would this thing be happening? Why would you be doing this? And I think we're more like the Israelites than we'll ever fully realize. Because we think if God is truly good and trustworthy, he would not place these things in our life. But ultimately, God is calling of trials. A deeper relationship with him that is marked by trust within trials, not free of trials. He is their healer, and they are called to trust him, and so are we. So that's kind of the first uh, section of, of water being um, made sweet by God and calling him, uh, them to trust him. The, our next problem is our food problem. So starting in chap- all of chapter 16, um, this is where uh, we're going to be camping out for a little bit. And it's, it's the largest problem in this sandwich. Um, and again, we see their complaining response. And even their comment that in Egypt and slavery, um, let me look at my... Uh, Oh, in verse 3, And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. They're like, hey, it was way better back there. We were in slavery, but we were at least full. We got to eat meat and bread whenever we wanted. Um, and, and they're like, at least we weren't hungry. And, and it kind of shows us that they didn't even realize or care that they were in slavery as long as they like had full bellies and stuff like that. Um, and again, God chooses to listen to their complaining and chooses to provide quail and manna bread for them. And this time, uh, it's, it's a little bit different than our first passage. He, he includes some laws around when they're supposed to gather and eat it. And these laws are really meant to protect them and protect them physically, mentally, and spiritually. And as we see in the text, when the Israelites follow his commands and they, they gather the manna and they eat it when they're supposed to, they have plenty to eat. Nobody has any lack is what the text says. And those who had, they were, they were full. They did not go hungry. But when they fail, the bread either melts or becomes infested with worms or goes sour. So God has like these structures around it about when and how much the Israelites are supposed to collect. And it's actually for their good. And I think this is the point I want to make here is that God's commands and laws for us are meant to give us life. And when we choose to follow them, we experience fullness of life. We experience satisfaction like they're experiencing here. And when we choose to disobey or go against those commands and laws, um, we experience life going sour or maybe being infested with worms, if you will, to use the imagery here. For example, God's word tells us when we have conflict with another person, uh, we're supposed to go directly to that person and handle things quickly. That's one of God's laws uh, and, and, and a thing he commands us to do. But when I choose to ignore conflict, or any of us do, or talk about somebody behind their back, our hearts tend to get pretty bitter and resentful over time if we don't actually go and settle those things. He, he tells us to do this because he knows our hearts are, are prone to do that uh, in our sin. And so God is setting commands and laws in different areas because he knows us and he actually wants to protect us. And so for uh, maybe a, a deeper example um, is God commands us not to put any, any gods uh, at the throne of our life. He says, have, have no other gods before me. And we'll see that here in Exodus in a, in a few chapters 
a few weeks later. He commands that because he knows if we put anything else on the throne of our life, it will actually kill us. It actually will not satisfy us. It will lead to this kind of poison or this like nasty, nasty bread that we see here. So God creates laws and commands for our good. Um, and, and truthfully, like how many of us are actually satisfied when we care about things more than we actually care about God? Very, very few of us actually do, if, if not any, because it's not what we're created um, to do. And, and honestly, we can never have enough. We keep chasing. We keep chasing these things uh, that, that we think will give us life, whether that's approval of others, success, control, power. If you're a parent, maybe it's your kids. Like that can, our kids can often like come and take the place of, of God uh, on the throne of our life. Our relationships and when we put our trust in those things outside of God, it leads to us being uh, dissatisfied, and it actually is not good for us, just like the food here that we see. Um, I'm doing the water trick because I lost my place in my notes. Brad taught me that the other week. <laughs> Thank you, Brad. Uh, so God is really trying to show the Israelites, and he's showing us through Christ, as we'll see a little bit later, that we will never be satisfied in anything outside of him. God is saying, hey, if, if you trust me, I will give you everything you need and your soul can truly rest and be satisfied. Some of Jesus' most famous words come in Matthew chapter 11, where he says, come to me, all who are heavy laden burdened, and I will give you rest. Later, he tells us that he is the bread of life, and we'll get to that in a little bit here. And whoever eats of this bread will never hunger. They will be satisfied. So you see, God is showing his people that he's got them taken care of. He's like, I got you guys taken care of. You can rest. You don't have to worry or grumble and complain about how much food you have or what's being provided. I, I have you. And he's even commanding it. He's not just suggesting like, hey, I, th- I think you should trust me. It's probably the, for the best. He's commanding it. He's like, come to me and trust me, and I will give you rest. I will give you satisfaction. Even much so, you'll see a little bit later, he says, gather this each and every day as much as you need, but on the sixth day, you're actually going to kind of gather double because on the seventh day, you're going to rest. I will provide enough for you on that day. And God actually gives them enough to last them two days on that day. He's like, just, just trust me. I, I have you taken care of, even so much so that you can rest on that seventh day. And one interesting point to make here as well is that God tells them to gather enough for that day. And he would continue to provide each day for them. He's not like, hey, uh, I'm going to provide enough. Make sure you store enough just in case like the manna doesn't come for a day. He's like, trust me, I I will continue on consistently giving this to you every single day. And I think that can be difficult for us because I think we're a culture that really likes our safety nets and our security blankets. We like to have something to rely on outside. Um, We kind of have these emergency reserves, uh, bank accounts even, and, and backup plans. If God fails this, okay, I know he says he's, he's trustworthy um, and faithful and everything, but just in case I have, I have this backup plan or I have this savings account, I have almost like a backup career plan just, just in case this doesn't work out. And I think that that is kind of how we are um, as a community and as, as a society. Um, and now I'm not saying don't, don't uh, you know, get rid of all your savings accounts or anything like that. I'm, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be wise with our money or wise with our plans and things like that. Um, but my question is, do we put our trust in them? Are we putting our trust in our backup plans and our security nets outside of 
instead of our trust in God. And I think an easy way to tell if you are um, is, is that I think um, we, we see that it can keep us from being generous. Like let's say if I'm putting my trust in my, my bank account or my backup, it, it can actually keep us from being generous with our finances because we trust so much in our, in our reserves. And I'm like, I can't give it because it's, it's there as my security blanket. It's there just in case we need it. And you might see that your heart isn't actually generous with the things that you have. Maybe you're complaining about lack because that, that savings account or, or your backup plan um, actually isn't enough for you. It's never big enough. It never has enough money in it. It never is perfect enough. And so you can actually be like complaining about the lack that you have. Like, I wish I had more. I wish I had more. When in all reality, God has provided everything that you need. And, and many of us, it can actually provide some like anxiety about having those backup plans, those buffers, that, that, that thing that I'm going to do just in case God doesn't show up or doesn't go, it doesn't go exactly how I think it should go. And so uh, for the Israelites, God is literally making it so they have to rely on him daily, like every single day. And there's no emergency stash of food. And even as we saw, it, it goes bad. Like if they don't eat it all, like it goes bad. There's no reserves. There's no anything like that on a daily basis uh, for them outside of the Sabbath, which we'll talk about in a second. And so the question for us as a church family is, are we relying on God's provision for us or are we relying on our own strength and our own backup plans and things like that? If our ultimate trust is in our own plans, we, we, we will fall short. We will, we will experience um, yeah, anxiety distance from God. And so uh, we're designed to find our uh, ultimate, um, I'm trying to find the word, I'm like, find our ultimate provision in what God gives us, not in what we're able to come up with. Um, and honestly, there will never be rest if that's where your trust lies. If you find it that you're hard, it's hard for you to find rest, it might be because you're placing all your trust in what you can do and not what God is doing for you. Um, and I think that's where we're going to go into next is, is rest. We see here in this uh, chapter towards the end, God uh, is talking about how you, you will protect this Sabbath rest day. On the seventh day, you, you will be rest, uh, knowing that God is provided for you everything you need um, for that day. Um, but I think it can be really hard for us as a, as a, a culture community to actually stop and rest well. Uh, so Sarah and I, uh, as we work on staff with crew, every six years, they actually give you a sabbatical, which is super cool. Um, and it's, it's two months. And to be honest, I'm like, I'm pretty nervous about it because I, I don't actually know what it looks like to rest. Like, it's really hard for me to stop. Um, and I think if I boiled it all the way down, um, I've heard it said that uh, we often can fear rest because when we stop and we actually come face to face with like who we are, um, that actually provides a lot of like fear and anxiety. And that's where I'm at is like, God, who am I when I actually take away my work? I take away everything that I do and it's just you and me. And that kind of terrifies me because I'm like, I, I don't know exactly who I am outside of what I do. And many of us are the same. Like we, it's hard for us to stop and rest because we're like, who am I if I'm not, if I'm not working? And I think um, I'm not the only one um, who feels that. Some of us kind of just work in overdrive and we find a lot of our identity in, in, in hard work. And again, I'm not saying hard work is bad, but I think that if we find our identity in it, that's when it starts to become something that has become an idol in our lives. Or maybe we work so hard we can fail to either lead our family spiritually, pursue people uh, and friendships and things like that. 
And honestly, some of us are just kind of undisciplined. So we lack rest because we haven't like built it into our lives and actually been intentional. Um, and no matter what the reason is, I think we can all find it hard to rest. Um, the Israelites even come back out the seventh day. God's like, trust me, I provide you enough for this day. But still they trickle out of their tents, like looking for manna. And, and Moses is like, what are you guys doing? And at first I'm like, how are these guys like, I was like, how are they so dumb? That's my first thought. I'm sorry, Israelites, um, but you probably think the same about me. Um, but I'm like, what are you guys doing? God like specifically told you, like, don't go out. <laughs> I, I have it covered, and yet they trickle out of their tents. Uh, but, but I'm like the same. I, I still come out, and I still like try to find my value in my work when I know I could be resting and like trusting in what God is doing. And, and I think an important question is, as Christians, are we actually supposed to take a Sabbath? Like, is this just an Old Testament um, command? And I think my, my short answer is yes. I, I think we are supposed to, as Christians, take a Sabbath. And the reason why is because Jesus comes and he says, I did not come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill it. And so if it is a law in the Old Testament and Jesus did not come to get rid of it, but to fulfill it, I think we should be listening to him. And later on, as Jesus is, is healing people on the Sabbath and things like that, he says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. And how would Jesus or why would Jesus say he's Lord of something that shouldn't exist? And just intellectually, I'm like, it, it just doesn't make sense that we, we would not want uh, or should be taking a Sabbath. And I think um, Sabbath actually shows uh, the world and ourselves that we're satisfied in something outside of what the world can give us. And that is a relationship with God. And I'm not perfect at this, just as the Lord has patience with the Israelites, he has patience with me and with you. But I really do urge you to try um, and, and incorporate rest um, into your lives and into your week. Um, and if you do have any questions about like Sabbath, again, I'm not a pro, but I have read a lot of books and things on it, so I'd love to help you out with that. And so uh, again, we see um, in this section God calling them into a deeper trust, a deeper relationship with them. And our final problem is another water problem. Uh, verses, uh, sorry, Exodus 17, 1 through 7. Again, another water problem. This time it's not that they have bitter water where there's water and they just can't drink it. This one is like there is no water at all. They haven't seen any. And again, we see the exact same response from them. It, it seems like they haven't learned anything from these previous two trials um, and they're about ready to stone Moses. Now they're like angry. <laughs> they're not just like complaining and, and things like that. They're like going to throw stuff at him, he says. Um, and, and God once again listens to their complaint. I think that's really important. And has Moses strike a rock so that water will come out for them and provides water for them. What is really significant here, and we can't miss it, is that, do you notice that God tells them to take the staff? He's like, take, take the staff that I used to struck the Nile and I want you to strike the rock with it. And, it, and the staff represents um, judgment. It, it represents God, God's judgment. So when he sticks it in the Nile, as we've seen in previous chapters um, in Exodus, it was a judgment on uh, Egypt's gods and, and Egypt itself and on Pharaoh. And it was an act of God saying, like, I'm, I'm more powerful. I'm going to judge these things. And notice what God says next. It's, it's really important. He says, I will stand before you on the rock of Horeb, and you will strike the rock. Remember that God is there. He says, I will go before you, and water will rush out of it. What God is showing them through all of these food water problems, I think it kind of comes to a pinnacle here. 
He is showing them that he is ultimately their provider, their healer, and their shepherd who is leading them. Obviously, when we read this last account of Moses striking God, because he says, I will go before you and I want you to strike the rock, he's inherently he's striking God. He is having Moses strike him, and out of that, he is giving them life. He is giving them water that will sustain them and bring them life. Our minds should ultimately be pointed towards Jesus and the cross when we think of, of being struck. As God was struck on the rock, he is pointed towards how Jesus will be struck with judgment. This time, the judgment of the sins of the whole world, past, present, and future, will be placed on Christ, and he will be struck on our behalf to give us life. And if that isn't enough, um, as, he is, as Jesus is hanging on the cross, one of the soldiers comes and he pierces his side and blood is flowing out of it. He is struck and blood flows out. First John says that the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. So just as the water is poured out at Horeb, so Christ's blood being poured out gives us cleansing from all sin. Without our sin being dealt with, we are wandering around in the desert, starving and dying of thirst. Paul says the wages of sin is death. So without Christ, we are all actually dying in our sin. We're dead in our trespasses. We are starving, dying of thirst. But Jesus says in John 6, 35, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He is the only answer. He is the only way we can ever truly have life and ever truly be satisfied. Just as the, the Israelites were continually tested to trust God more and more deeply, so God is inviting us Christians to trust in the life that Jesus gives us and more and more deeply. And if you're not a Christian, he's inviting you to find life where there is true, everlasting, satisfying life. Jesus tells the Samaritan woman he meets, uh, John chapter 4, he meets her at the well, that those who drink from him and trust in him will never thirst again. Isn't that amazing? And that's what he is inviting us into. And one final note I want to make before we close is that all throughout the Exodus story up until this point, again, this I think is, is something I really want to hammer home, that, that God's provision was based solely on his faithfulness, not ours or not the Israelites' faithfulness. He continually provides salvation um, from their enemies, food, water, protection, you name it, regardless of how faithful they are. And honestly, they were rarely faithful if we look back and are truthful with it. And that's the beauty of the gospel too. God provides salvation from, for us, for our sin, even when we're not faithful. We were dead in our trespasses. Dead people can't do anything to save themselves. Dead people aren't faithful or anything because their bodies, I, sh I should say, are, are dead. They're, they're, they cannot in and of themselves do something to earn, earn favor with God. God rescues us through Christ based on his faithfulness, not ours. And we need to let that beautiful truth sink in, church family. And the rest is uh, what he has done for us and trust in him. We need to rest in that, in those truths, not in what we're able to do for him. So uh, a few uh, just really quick application points. How do, we, how do we do this? How do I practice finding my ultimate satisfaction in him, my life in him? Um, how do we actively choose to trust in his provision? I have three quick things. These are things that have just helped me over the years when I find myself like having a hard time trusting in God and his provision or, or trusting in what he's doing. Uh, the first thing is to practice gratitude. So these three are, are our practices. The first is to practice gratitude. I think one way uh, to really kind of take out a heart of grumbling is to replace it with a heart of gratitude. 
and, and, and praising and recognizing what God has done. This is a really simple thing, uh, but Sarah and I have done this like a few times throughout uh, our marriage over the past eight years is to write down, like sit down and write down 50 things that you're grateful for that God has given you. And if you're like me, I got like eight of them and I was like, oh shoot, like really got to think, you know what I mean? And then, and then after that, it kind of just starts flooding and my heart just starts to become like, okay, God, like I'm recognizing the things, the sweet things that you have given me in my life. And, and it led me to a praise in God and gratitude for him, not a complaining like, what are you doing? It was very much a thank you for what you have done. The second thing, uh, as I mentioned, is to practice Sabbath. Doesn't, I, I mean, it's like I almost don't care like what day it is, but to like have like a day where you as a family are setting aside or you as an individual time to rest in God, where you're disengaging from most of those things that you tend to do on a daily basis, just like the Israelites and trust in his provision for you and not what you're able to do for him. And again, I would love to talk to you about this. I feel like Sabbath is like a whole nother sermon in and of itself, um, but would love to like give ideas. I know Rick and Brad um, or Ronnie, any of the pastors here would love to help with that and give ideas for what it would look like to take a Sabbath. And the last thing is to practice remembering what God has done. Um, if you notice at the end of uh, the, the manna uh, story, God has them place some like in a kind of a jar or something like that. I don't know exactly what, what it was. As a sign of remembrance. He was like, set this aside as a sign of remembrance. It eventually actually makes its way into the Ark of the Covenant. So this is a big moment, a big time right here, if God is going to eventually place it there. And so what are some monuments in your life or moments in your life where you've seen God show up? What are um, some of those jars of manna that you can set aside and remember what he has done for you? And one practical way uh, we do this as a church family together is by taking communion, which we'll do in a second. Every Sunday, we literally take the bread and the cup and remember the greatest thing that God has ever done for any of us, and that is to give his son on our behalf. Uh, my encouragement is as we step to the table and we take the cup um, and, and drink it and we, t- and we bite the bread, we, we recognize God's provision through his blood on the cross and through giving up his body and those are the things that sustain us, not what we're able to do um, for him. And I, and I find that my heart becomes a little less complaining. So as you, um, I'm going to pray really quick, invite the worship team up, and then we'll go into our time uh, of communion. Father, I just, uh, I'm grateful for your word. Uh, thank you that you give it to us uh, as a lamp to our feet. Thank you that you give it to us to show us, Lord, that, that we can trust you. That, that you will provide for us, that you, Jesus, even as you, you, you said in the gospels, like, I am the good shepherd. I will protect you. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. All of these things you are reminding us and, and letting it soak in that this is who you are, Lord, and we can trust you. And so, Father, I don't know exactly where everybody is uh, this morning as, as we hear these questioning what you're doing. Uh, maybe, Lord, some of us find ourselves very resentful towards you or questioning what you're doing. Lord, I pray that you would meet us there. Just as you meet the Israelites, listen, and I know you hear um, our complaints. And so, Father, I pray today that we would take a step towards you in, in trusting in your provision because it's in your word and we can look back and rely on that. And so, Father, we pray these things in your name. Amen.